Let's do it. You ready? Arizona! Welcome to a Saturday night right here in Phoenix, Arizona. Hello, and welcome to another Arizona.FYI podcast. My name is Mark. Today, we're going to talk about Arizona and how it's not New Mexico. So we've talked a lot about Arizona's history and how it stretches back to pre-Columbian peoples. One thing I don't think we ever got to was Arizona's etymology. The name Arizona is speculated to be from the Oatham language for Ali Sonak, which originally meant small spring and really only applied to a specific spot down near a small mine called Planchas de la Plata, which is in southern Arizona. When the Spanish came through, they asked the local Indians, what do you call this place? Because they were standing next to the small spring, they said, Alisonac, which to the Spanish, of course, sounded like Arizona, and that's how we got Arizona. So I've talked about the pre-Columbian peoples before. I've talked a little bit about Spanish, and I probably want to talk about them in the future. I'm going to gloss over the Mexican-American War in this, and we'll probably talk about that in the future episodes. Arizona territory was originally carved out of New Mexico territory, which was originally carved out of the lands that Mexico ceded to the United States after the Mexican-American War. That war was in response to Texas declaring its independence from Mexico in 1836. Prior to that, Mexico had invited U.S. colonists to set up shop there, and eventually, because of bad governing and no involvement by the Mexican government in the Texians' affairs, Texians decided to declare their independence and secede from Mexico. Once they had seceded from Mexico, they sought mediation with Mexico with Great Britain as the mediator, with their goal to have Texas be able to govern itself, possibly as a state of Mexico. During that mediation, the U.S. stuck its nose in and basically made an offer to Mexico to buy Texas from them. Mexico balked and said, no, definitely not. And then the U.S. swooped in and occupied Texas. This results after a few other skirmishes in the Mexican-American War. The Mexican government at this point is fairly scattered and isn't really able to contend with the United States, which results in the United States taking Mexico City and eventually forcing Mexico's hand, basically forcing Mexico to cede the western United States. The U.S. agrees to pay $15 million in damages for the war and $3.25 million for Mexican debt. Mexico recognizes the loss of Texas in the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, and the Mexicans that lived in Texas are now cut off from their government. The natives that lived in Texas and Arizona and New Mexico and parts of California and Nevada found themselves contending with a new power, as the natives there never actually recognized Mexico's power in the first place. So, one of the interesting holdovers from Mexican rule of the western United States is reflected in the tradition of community property. This is a holdover from the Spanish legal system. In any case, Mexico ceded the Western United States, and there was now the question of how to divvy them up. All of this was happening in the precursor years to the Civil War. States were choosing lines, whether they were North or South, or slave states or free states. And the brand new territories and states that were being brought into the Union under the Mexican and American War Capitulation Agreement added a layer of complexity to the congressional hearings. Texas was a slave state. New Mexico was a slave state. But the Arizona, California, and Nevada portions of those territories uh, were much contested. Originally, after the agreement, New Mexico territory was carved out, and Arizona was portioned of it. So New Mexico's territory stretched from Texas all the way to Las Vegas, and all of that was considered New Mexico. That was until the South got involved in 1861. 
The South claimed the southern half of New Mexico Territory, along the 34th parallel, which runs east-west just north of Phoenix. The Confederate state of Arizona spanned from Texas to California. Prescott would remain in the Union, but Tucson and the area that would become Phoenix left the Union. The Confederate territory of Arizona was important to the South as it allowed access to the Pacific Ocean and California, splitting New Mexico Territory into north and south portions that stretched all the way east and west, made for a very awkward division of the actual geography. Having the line along the 34th parallel, just south of Prescott, doesn't really agree with all the mountain ranges which all run pretty much north and south. Traveling from Santa Fe, say, which is actually in the northern port of New Mexico, to Phoenix is a difficult journey. You have to go all the way down south to Tucson and back up, or up to Flagstaff and back down. Either way, you really can't go east-west, so it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to make that division laterally. Regardless, the reason for that was that the southern states needed a clear way to get to California. So imagine yourself living in Arizona territory, eking out an existence in the desert, falling prey to the depredations of the native peoples who really didn't want you there, working alongside the Mexican inhabitants in what is actually Mexico at that time, or actually was part of Mexico 10 years ago. You've already gone through a, a war, a change in government, and now you're under attack by the Confederate forces. The Union soldiers have to pull out, and you're left defenseless. Published in your newspaper on 30 August, 1861. To the people of the territory of Arizona, the social and political condition of Arizona being little short of general anarchy and the people being literally destitute of law, order, and protection. The said territory from the date hereof is hereby declared temporarily organized as a military government until such time as Congress may otherwise provide. I, John R. Baylor, Lieutenant Colonel, commanding the Confederate Army in the territory of Arizona, Hereby take possession of said territory in the name and behalf of the Confederate States of America. For all the purposes herein specified, and until otherwise decreed or provided, the territory of Arizona shall comprise all that portion of the recent territory of New Mexico lying south of the 34th parallel of North Latitude. All offices, both civil and military, heretofore existing in this territory, either under the laws of the late United States or the territory of New Mexico, are hereby declared vacant, and from the date hereof shall forever cease to exist that the people of this territory may enjoy the full benefits of law, order, and... and Baylor goes on and, and outlines how he wants the uh, judicial and executive branches laid out. He, will, he lays out where the capital will be, which is actually Messiah, transfers all suits and other business, now pending in any of the late courts of New Mexico, to the new Confederate courts. All territorial officers, before entering upon their official duties, shall take an oath of affirmation to support the Constitution and laws of the Confederate states in this territory, and faithfully to discharge the duties incumbent upon them. The Bill of Rights of the Territory of New Mexico, so far as consistent with the Constitution and laws of the Confederate States of America, and the provisions of this decree, are hereby declared in full force and effect in the Territory of Arizona. Given under my hand at Messiah, this first day of August, 1861. John R. Baylor, Lieutenant Colonel Commandant, Mounted Rifles, Confederate States of America. And of course the local newspaper was drafted into the propaganda effort to support the Confederate claim. Concerning this proclamation, the Messiah Times declares as follows. Dawning of a golden era. In another column that we found proclamation of Lieutenant Colonel John R. Baylor commanding the Confederate forces of Arizona by which the territory of Arizona is taken possession of in the name of the Confederate States of America establishing temporarily and until the action of Congress a form of government. The importance and necessity of this movement is self-evident. We should emerge from the chains and anarchy which have beset us and assume the form and fact of a territory, prepare to receive its organization and set in motion the machinery of courts, resolving that law and justice shall be enforced and sustained, and zealously set to work to develop, to improve, to adorn the land in which we have made our homes. 
quite an interesting example of propaganda and probably quite concerning to the people that live here. At the time, Confederate support was largely high because the Union was... So there's two ways to look at this. Baylor cites the lack of Union support in the territory of Arizona as the reason that the settlers are being preyed upon by the local natives. A careful reading of history will show you that Baylor was the reason that the Union had to pull out of Arizona because he attacked them and they ran for the hills. Now, this is neither here nor there because really the... The aim of this move was not really to safeguard the people that lived here. It wasn't really to set up a new government. The aim here was to set up a new government from Messiah that would make sure that they could ship things from California across to the south. Regardless, living through a, a proclamation like that must have been an interesting time. Hey, guess what? Your current government, it's null and void. We're here now. So Jefferson Davis proclaimed the territory on February 14th, 1862. And just over a year later, the federal government declared Arizona as a territory on the western half of New Mexico territory, splitting the states down the middle like they are today. This was done primarily so that the South's division line, east to west, would be de facto contested. The Confederates were pushed out of Arizona to Texas in 1862, and ultimately they did little for the territory except leave it vulnerable to Apache attacks. One other motivation for the Union to answer the South's territorial proclamation was a bill introduced by an Ohio representative into the House. It just so happens that this representative owned silver mine interests in Arizona and didn't want them falling into Southern hands. Regardless, he put together a bill and sponsored it through the House, got it pushed through, and eventually Lincoln signed it in 1862. This established Arizona Territory, the North-South version, as it exists today, and challenged the narrative that the South was pushing. The Ohio representative's legislation was called the Arizona Organic Act to dissolve New Mexico Territory into Arizona and New Mexico. February 24th of 1863, it was signed into law by Lincoln. New Mexico would remain a slave state, and Arizona would be a free state. Depending on how it's recalled, Baylor was either a savior or a devil. Baylor went about dismantling the remaining Union forts throughout the territory, which left white settlers at the mercy of the Apache. Many were forced to flee to Tucson. Eventually, the Battle of Glorietta Pass marked the end of Confederate States of America advancements into Arizona. It was March 26th to March 28th, 1862. In response to Colonel Baylor's proclamation, the U.S. Senate decides to endorse Arizona Territory with its capital in Prescott, solidly within the Union-controlled portion of the state, as opposed to the first suggested Tucson, a Confederate property at the time. This time it was the Union's turn to issue a proclamation. I, John N. Goodwin, having been appointed by the President of the United States and duly qualified as Governor of the Territory of Arizona, do hereby announce that by virtue of the powers with which I was invested at the Act of Congress of the United States, providing a temporary government for the Territory, I shall this day proceed to organize said government. The provisions of the Act and all laws and enactments established thereby will be enforced by the proper territorial officers from now on. From and after this date. A preliminary census will forthwith be taken, and thereafter the judicial districts will be aid in cooperation of all the citizens of the territory in my efforts to establish a government whereby security of life and property will be maintained throughout its limits, and its varied resources be rapidly and successfully developed. The seat of government will, for the present, be at or near Fort Whipple. Signed at Navajo Springs, Arizona, December 29, 1863. Alternate names for the new territory had included Gadsonia for the Gadsden Purchase, Pimeria, Montezuma, and Arizuma. Eventually, Lincoln signed it in as Arizona. Interestingly enough, when Arizona finally did become a state, 50 years to the day later, it was an unintentional middle finger to Jefferson Davis. 
The proposal to organize the Confederate territory of Arizona was passed by the Confederate Congress in early 1862, but officially proclaimed by President Jefferson Davis on February 14, 1862. To commemorate this event in another era, February 14, 1912, the 50th anniversary was selected as the official statehood date for Arizona. Another version of this story says that February 12th was originally selected, but Taft was busy that day, and he put it off till the 14th. I choose to believe that they were punishing Jefferson Davis. But really, all of that is just half the story. Oh, the Deadwood stages are rolling on over the plains. With the curtains flapping and the driver is slapping the reins. A beautiful sky, a wonderful day. Whip, crack away, whip, crack away, whip, crack away. So the first time that Washington came up with the idea to bring Arizona in as a state, they called it jointure, and basically combined New Mexico and Arizona as one state. New Mexico loved the idea, Arizona didn't. The people of Arizona voted against it in 1906 by 16,000 to 3,000. Quote, we'd prefer to remain a territory indefinitely rather than lose our identity. The Phoenix City Council was so mad, President Theodore Roosevelt seemed to give tacit approval of Joinser, that it changed the name of Roosevelt Street to Cleveland Street, but eventually changed it back. Teddy Roosevelt eventually came out in favor of Joinser in 1905. I recommend that the Indian Territory in Oklahoma be admitted as one state, and that New Mexico and Arizona be admitted as one. There is no obligation upon us to treat territorial subdivisions, which are matters of convenience only, as binding upon the question of admission to statehood. Nothing has taken up more time in Congress during the past few years than the question as to statehood to be granted to the four territories above mentioned. That was splitting Oklahoma into two territories and splitting New Mexico into two territories. And after careful consideration of all that has been developed in the discussions of the question, I recommend that they immediately be admitted as two states. This would be Oklahoma and New Mexico. There is no justification for further delay, and the advisability of making the four territories into two states has been clearly established. Arizonans did not take kindly to being admitted to the Union as part of New Mexico. We had our own identity, our own sense of destiny and place. And to be admitted to statehood shackled to New Mexico with a capital far to the east, and state interests invested in the lesser of two territories? This was an insult. From Charlotte Hall's Arizona Link her in her morning beauty with another, however fair, and open your jealous portal and bid her enter there, with shackles on wrist and ankle and dust on her stately head, and her proud eyes dim with weeping? No! Bar your doors instead! Charlotte Hall is one of the great Arizona ladies. We'll definitely have several episodes dealing with her later. And I highly recommend that you check out the Charlotte Hall Museum in Prescott. She wrote a beautiful poem, which goes on for several, 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 several stanzas, which lays out the case that Arizona should not be shackled to New Mexico and brought into the Union as one state. I'll see if I can link to that in the show notes. Check it out at arizona.fyi slash six. This is one of my favorite stanzas from the, the, from the poem. We will make ye the mold of an empire here in the land ye scorn, while ye drowse and dream in your well-housed eased that states at your nod are born. Ye have blotted your own beginnings and taught your sons to forget that ye did not spring fat-fed and old from the powers that bear and beget. But while ye follow your smooth-made roads to a fireside safe of fears, 
shall come a voice from a land still young to sing in your age-dulled ears. The hero song of a strife as fine as your father's fathers knew, when they dared the rivers of unmapped wilds at the will of a bark canoe. The song of the deed and the doing of the work still hot from the hand, of the yoke of man laid friendly wise on the neck of a tameless land. While your merchandise is weighing, we will bit and bridle and rein the floods of storm-rocked mountains and lead them down to the plain. And the foam-ribbed, dark-hued waters, tired from that mighty race, shall lie at the feet of palm and vine and know their appointed place. And out of that subtle union, desert and mountain flood, shall be the homes for a nation's choosing where no home else has stood. As jointure was definitely not going to work out, the matter was placed on the back burner until October of 1910, when a constitutional convention was held to draft the new constitution and take it to Washington. One of the biggest sticking points was a provision of the Constitution approved by the Convention, which would have allowed recall elections of judges. This provision would allow the voters to remove justices who were not acting in the interests of the state, or in whom the voters had lost confidence. As justices are normally appointed for life, or, quote, good behavior, this was seen as a dangerous loophole by the rest of the nation, and was rejected throughout the Capitol. President Taft was vehemently opposed, and the Arizona Constitution could not be taken seriously until it was scrubbed of the provision. Interestingly enough, the Arizona Constitutional Convention, which opened on October 10th of 1910, ran for 60 days and produced what was considered then either one of the most progressive constitutions of any state, or one of the most socialistic and undemocratic constitutions of any state. You think Arizona is conservative now, it uh, didn't start that way. President Taft said, again, judicial recall is advocated on the ground that will bring judges more into sympathy with the popular will and the progress of, of the ideas among people. It is said that now judges are out of touch with the movement towards wider democracy and a greater control of government agencies in the interest and for the benefit of the people. The righteous and just course for a judge to pursue is ordinarily fixed by statute or clear principles of law. In the cases in which his judgment may, may be affected by his political, economic, or social views are infrequent. But in such cases, judges are not removed from the people's influence. Surround the judiciary with all the safeguards possible. Create judges by appointment. Make their tenure for life. Forbid diminution of salary during their term. And still it is impossible to prevent the influence of popular opinion from coloring judgments in the long run. Judges are men. Intelligent, sympathetic men. Patriotic men. And in those fields of the law in which the personal equation unavoidably plays a part, there will be found a response to sober popular opinion as it changes to meet the exigency of social, political, and economic changes. Basically, Taft says, look, these judges are not cloistered and removed from public opinion. If you put them in for life, they're going to hear what people are talking about. And they are sympathetic and intelligent men. There should be no problem with them taking in new information and, and considering the will of the people at the time. Basically, Arizona wanted a way to remove bad judges or activist judges in a way to shackle their interests to the will of the people at any one time. Taft said, no, this is dumb because they are already listening to you. There's no reason to, to make that a, an official way to, to bring their power down. For whatever reason, Arizona stuck on this, and the rest of the nation basically said, that's dumb. I, we don't see why you need that. And Arizona said, well, we think it's necessary. Part of that was the fact that Arizona was becoming a state at such a later time that that the Constitutional Convention of Arizona had the benefit of time and had seen how previous states had worked out. Whether or not it was good or bad, it held up Arizona's admission to the Union for quite a while. Eventually, somebody told Arizona that you can take it out now, 
get admitted to statehood and put it back in. But don't have it in your constitution when we vote on it. So, true to its word, at the first election after statehood in the fall of 1912, Arizona voters reinstated the recall of judges into the state constitution. And by a healthy margin, they gave Arizona women the right to vote eight years before national suffrage, which sounds progressive, but really all of the Western states had done that by that time. With the exception of New Mexico, because New Mexico. So that is a very short treatment of how we became a state. Now, there's a whole bunch of nuance to this. There's a bunch of interesting stories within all of this that we, uh, I would love to cover at some point. And who knows, we might cover those at some point in the future. I would definitely like to talk about the Mexican-American War, and we'll have uh, maybe Dennis and maybe Matt here to talk about that. You guys will meet them later, hopefully. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Arizona.FYI podcast. Check out our website, Arizona.FYI. You can find our Facebook, our Twitter, our SoundCloud page, our iTunes link, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, on there. And as always, please discuss our episodes on our subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash Arizona FYI. And check out our Instagram account where Karen and I post images from our research and travels and all that stuff. Thanks again for listening. And remember, when you're out there exploring our state, don't forget to bring us along. Have a good one.